Kroger has announced that they're going to be buying Albertsons to become a huge conglomerate in the grocery store industry. It is a $24 billion leverage buyout. It's going to put more than $50 billion in total debt onto Kroger as they consolidate the two businesses, buy down the debt, and grow the enterprise. We're going to unpack the value in this video of about 20 minutes. Give me the 20 minutes. I'm going to show you how to combine two businesses in a leveraged buyout and how much cash money you can make in this stock if you bought it today and held it for a decade. Ready? Let's get to work. All right, welcome to Rational Investing. My name is Cameron Stewart, CFA. Thank you for watching the channel and listening to the podcast. I greatly appreciate it. This week up, we're going to go into Kroger, the grocery store chain, and we're going to look at their acquisition of Albertsons. Now, they just offered, or both, uh, rather, both boards of directors just unanimously, unanimously approved the acquisition uh, deal, and they're waiting for it to close early 2024 sometime. And it's basically going to be a $24 billion acquisition of Albertsons by Kroger. They come up with the $24 billion of approximate enterprise value, reading from the press release that they have, which is going to include the assumption of about $4.7 billion of debt. So that's roughly about $19 billion of market cap that they're going to be paying in cash and debt for Albertsons, or roughly $37, $36 a share. Now that $36 a share represents a premium of about 32%. The combined businesses are gonna have 710,000 associates, total stores of 5,000 stores, distribution centers of 66. Uh, there are 52 manufacturing plants, at almost 4,000 pharmacies and 2,000 fuel centers. They will touch almost 85 million families in the United States in a kind of omni-channel uh, experience for both the drug business and primarily grocery store business. Uh, an absolute beast. Let's figure out how they're coming up with these numbers, how much cash they're gonna make. Let's dive into the cash flow club right now. We're gonna roll through what we posted earlier this week and show you the one pager and how to break it down. So well, the first thing we're gonna post here is just from the Kroger announcement itself, we're gonna ground ourselves in a couple free facts. Number one is the adjusted EBITDA, adjusted EBITDA. Now we don't like adjusted EBITDA, I get it. There are some adjustments here, but what, what, what is not here is uh, stock-based compensation, which is a big pet peeve of ours. They've got some adjustments here, which by and large are legitimate. So we're gonna go with the adjusted EBITDA number. Uh, you can see Kroger sales $137 billion. This is 2021 sales. So $137 billion for Kroger and an adjusted EBITDA of $7.1 billion. You got Albertsons at $71 billion of top line revenue and $4.4 billion of adjusted EBITDA for the 2021 fiscal year. Now you're going to combine these businesses and you're going to get a, get a, get a new entity that's got $210 billion of top line revenue and $11.5 billion of EBITDA that they can use to pay CapEx, they have to pay taxes, interest on debt for the new leverage, uh, and then they have to pay principal down because they're going to be over-levered and then kick out free cash flow. Now, before we dive into the details, I want to review the five key attributes that we use in this channel to understand an investment opportunity or classify them, if you will, as uh, to five key attributes, which then warrants further due diligence. Number one, top line revenue growth. You want a business that can grow top line revenue. Number two, 
earnings growth. We use EBITDA as a representation of P&L level earnings. You want that to be growing. Number three, strong free cash flow, obviously. Number four, low debt. You want less than three times debt to EBITDA. Number five, you want a well-priced stock. What is a well-priced stock? It's a little subjective, but it's basically a conservative growth forecast that if you bought today, held it for a decade, it would beat the stock market projected. And stock market on average will return 10%. So you wanna to try to find a stock that with the conservative forecast will have an expected return of greater than 10%. So I wanna walk through some numbers with you quickly and we'll talk about it. Then we're gonna dive into the metrics, the performance of Kroger and see what it looks like on a consolidated basis. So as I said earlier, the consolidated entity, right? They're buying uh, Kroger, which is a $53 billion enterprise value company is paying cash and, and 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 is paying cash for Albertsons and they're going to buy it at a value of 34 35 billion dollars. Now that 35 billion includes about 5 billion of assumed debt. So they're going to pay uh, about $20 billion in cash to the Albertson shareholders. Now, where is Kroger going to get $20 billion? Because you look on their balance sheet and they have roughly a billion. They don't have a lot of excess cash. Well, they're going to borrow that money and they're going to borrow about $20 billion. There's a credit facility that's going to be underwritten by Wells Fargo. It's one of the, one of the transaction partners or one of the investment bankers in the deal. They're going to give them a credit facility of about $17.5 billion. So that is going to stack on top of the debt. So you've got the level of Kroger's debt currently. That's number one. Uh, we'll get there, but it's $20 billion. You're going to add, call it another $20 billion for round numbers of this new credit facility that Wells Fargo is going to extend Kroger to get the deal done. Now we're at 40 plus you're going to assume another $5 billion of debt for, um, uh, for that, that Albertsons already has on it. So you're about uh, $45 billion of total leverage. So now we know we have an entity that's got $44 billion of total debt when you consolidate the two. Now, how much earnings do they have? Earnings, they have 11 and a half. So that is about four, a little less than four times levered debt to EBITDA, which is close to our 3x maximum, a little bit over. And part of what they say in their disclosures here is that they're going to be buying that debt down. So if you look at the transaction summary that they post, they say, hey, here's the consolidated entity. We're going to be buying it for debt and we're going to, under financing, we are going to pay down the debt to get back to a two times leverage. I'm just looking for, here it is. Uh, prioritizing deleveraging to achieve two and a half times EBITDA net leveraged. They think it's going to take 18 to 24 months. I doubt that probably three years, three, four years, these things take time. But nevertheless, they're acknowledging that they're above the mark. We have three times, they're saying they wanna be two and a half. And so we're saying, they're saying they're gonna be coming down. So this is a long story short, I'm teaching you a little bit about leverage buyouts, but basically this is saying, hey, we're gonna borrow a ton of money, get this deal done. We acknowledge that it's too much debt. We're gonna work hard to bring the businesses to together, generate free cash flow, buy down the stock, buy down the debt quickly. They're going to suspend their uh, share repurchase program has been paused until net leverage is achieved. So they're not going to buy back shares. But then once it is achieved, then what happens, you unlock free cash flow that no longer goes to pay debt. That goes to shareholders, you and I, and so you get the scale of the two companies. So what we want to do is we want to figure out is the current price today worth the consolidated business. 
Ready? Let's dive into this. So as we get down to the main event here, I'm just going to scroll through and show you some of the data that we provide inside the Cashflow Club. You just get basically getting a peek inside the Cashflow Club. These are kind of total return metrics for Kroger, what it looks like if you held this stock over its maturity for a long, long time. Uh, they've got some leverage metrics, year-to-date performance and so forth, EBITDA targets and so forth. Lots of data here, lots of graphs. I do want to show you the enterprise value to EBITDA mark so we get a, like a level set of what the trading range of the stock typically is. So here we go. Enterprise value to EBITDA is right here. Here's your EBITDA. This is just Kroger, by the way. So just Kroger, EBITDA, EBITDA 2014, you're looking north of four and it's bumping, but it's slowly growing to, a, we've got a, well, we've got, uh, should be seven and change right with what they said earlier. Uh, for last fiscal year. And the multiple, the enterprise value to EBITDA multiple has been sitting around seven to eight times, which in my opinion is very cheap for a, 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 a core defensive business that's inflation protected, that's growing rev, uh, earnings. We'll get to revenue in a second. Uh, very interesting uh, possibility. Let's take a look at the actual one pager. Now we're going to dive into the one pager that you get in the Cashflow Club. We email this out to everybody every time they're posted. And we've got a number of analysts inside the club who are who are participating in this program to try to value on a cash flow basis, publishing all the assumptions, as many stocks as possible. If you follow this channel, you know I have a pet peeve with investment bankers that just toss a number out there of what they think the stock is going to be worth in a couple years without a full underlying assumption build out. What we try to do is say, here are all the assumptions. This is what the math uh, tells us you as the investor can judge all the assumptions if you think it's too conservative, too aggressive, whatnot, but at least you have all the information. Here we go. Let's run through Kroger. We're going to dive into this, then we're going to take a look at the return. So here we go. 2014, Kroger, just shy of $100 billion of top line revenue. So that's 2014. So they're a big company, okay? And then they grew this to 108, 109, 115, 123, kind of a couple down years there. Picked up 132, 137 last year, just shy of $150 billion of top line revenue growth, uh, top line revenue for the Kroger business. And that is an average annual growth rate of revenue of 5% a year over the last decade. Hey, mid single digit numbers, there's a lot of companies out there that cannot do that. So that is a nice check the box for us when we're looking at our five key metrics. Number two, EBITDA, can they remain profitable? And this is profit at the enterprise level. You want the company, the company itself to be profitable, not just earnings per share, because as you've seen in a number of videos, a la Pepsi, uh, is they can manipulate earnings per share by adjusting the number of shares outstanding. You want a business that can grow earnings. Pepsi has failed to grow earnings for a decade. There's lots of other companies that are in the same bucket. So EBITDA, earnings before interest tax depreciation, $4.5 billion in 2014, 5.1, 5.7, 5 5.8, little dip to 5, 5.2, 5.4, 5.9, 6.5, 7.5, almost $7.6 billion of EBITDA and that growth is 6%. So EBITDA has been growing slightly faster than top line revenue. What does that mean? Margin growth. Excellent. We'd love to see that. So let's keep rolling. So we've got now debt. What one comp companies have been doing is they've been growing debt a bit faster than, uh, than earnings, meaning they're leveraging the business and they're taking that cash and they're buying back stock. Let's check to see what's going on here. 
So we've got debt, 11 billion grew to 20 billion, basically a little less than doubling over that period of time. EBITDA almost doubled. So debt levels growing at 7%, uh, EBITDA is growing at 6%. That's roughly the same. I mean, it depends on where you set the basic mark if, if, if uh, 2014 versus 2013, you know, so uh, depending upon the 10 year period that you're measuring, I would call that even which means that they're holding their leverage constant over time while they're growing earnings. So that if they, in fact, they are buying back shares, they are not doing it by over leveraging the business. They're keeping the business properly leveraged. And I think that's a hallmark of a champion CFO. Good job, um, team. Debt levels, market cap. Market cap is shares outstanding times average price. I use average price for the fiscal year, but you could use for the full year. You could use a point in time, whatever floats your boat on that one. Uh, you get market cap. Market cap plus debt means enterprise value. Why do we look at enterprise value? Because it's the entire business. And because when you look at transactions, M&A deals, they quote you in the entire company. They quote the enterprise value. They don't mention market cap anywhere in here. It's all enterprise value. So enterprise value is the company. It went from $30 billion to $53 billion in a decade pair of time. Not too shabby for what is a grocery store chain. Not to mention you're getting dividends on top of that. All right. Debt to, uh, EBITDA to enterprise value are relative value metrics. So you've got the entire business. Divide that by how much earnings, earnings, not cash flow. We'll get to cash flow in a second but how much earnings the business makes on an annual basis. That multiple is essentially how many years the business has to run for it to pay back itself. Is it a true payback? No. Do you get this cash? No. It's a proxy for uh, how many years you have to wait for this business to generate its money back. Obviously, the faster you get your money back, the better. So on average, it looks like you're, you're, you're in over the last decade, it's fluctuated around seven to eight and a half times, eight and a half years. You can currently buy the stock at seven times, which I think is low. That's why there's probably a small market multiple expansion that you could possibly have. Hint for the t-shirt I'm wearing for those who watch the channel often. You kind of know where I'm going. Debt to EBITDA. Now, debt to EBITDA has been low, under three times. That's our metric, right? It's no, it's, I didn't pick three times debt to EBITDA arbitrarily. And it's no wonder that this number is barely ever over three times. That's because senior lenders, banks, Wells Fargo, Citibank, which are both financial advisors on this transaction, uh, Goldman Sachs, you know, JP Morgan Chase, you name it, the big banks, will lend businesses three times debt to EBITDA. After that, it's, it's, it starts getting into junior money and it gets very, very expensive. So you want a business that's under level. Now, this deal is going to put you over into the 4X time. So they're going to go higher and we know that. And the company's going to say, hey, I'm doing it one time. I'm going to bring it back down. And I trust them because they've had a decade of, of, of pretty good performance here. So I would say that it's, it's reasonable to allow them to go above knowing that they'll have uh, cash flow to, to bring it back down. So I would check the box there. Let's look at cash flow, adjusted free cash flow from operations. My favorite statement, your favorite statement, the cash flow statement, right? That's where the rubber meets the road. EBITDA is fun. Buffett hates it. I get why. It's not true cash flow. This is why we go over true cash flow. It's where the rubber meets the road. It's what the value of the company is truly based on. So adjusted free cash flow. We're making adjustments primarily for stock-based compensation because the tech world, the unicorns of the world love to... Uh, 
issue stock-based comp and then and then not adjust for it as though it's just mythical fancy fancy money that they can they can just give away. So we expense it. So cash flow from operations is the first third. It's how much cash, how much jack, how much pure money they make. And why do I like it? Because it's verifiable by a third party. I've said this before in the channel. What auditors often do is you come in, have PwC, Ernst and Young, uh, Deloitte, some of the you know big four, or whatever will come in and if Wells Fargo I'm I think is the bank that these guys use for the treasury services uh, is, is is the is, is they're doing the audit the the auditors Ernst and Young will pick up the phone and call Wells Fargo and say hey Wells Fargo how much cash does uh, uh, Kroger have at the end of the balance sheet on December 31st and they'll say well it, it's X and they'll look at the change between X and Y the beginning of year and the end of year and that change helps them reconcile the income statement and the cash flow that the that the that the that Kroger is putting forward it gives a third-party smell check to what's actually going on because EBITDA and and the P&L can be massaged a little bit but pure cash verified by a third party is real hard to do so so Let's finally dive into the adjusted free cash flow. So in 2024, 2014, $3.5 billion of adjusted free cash flow, and that grew to 4, 4.7, 4.1, kind of down. 3.24, 4.5, 6.6 .6 in 2021, where it peaked, and then comes down to 6, and then 4.3 for a growth rate of 2%, which is still positive, still directionally right. So if you got EBITDA at 6, free cash flow too. They're both going the same direction. I like that. Remember, cash flow is going to be a whole lot more volatile up and down than EBITDA because there's no smoothing mechanism for accounting. It's pure cash going out. So if they're paying more for new inventory to stock the shelves, that's going to be cash out the door before they're able to sell the merchandise to the customer. CapEx as well has been growing. I tried to keep that in line, it looks like, with cash flow from operations, but essentially $3 billion Last year, they made $4.3 billion of adjusted free cash flow. They spent $3 billion in CapEx, so they had $1.3 billion of free cash flow. And last year, they paid down $500,000 of debt. Free cash flow is pretty weak, $678 million. You can see that's because the adjusted free cash flow is low, probably inventory stocking and working capital that they're putting into the business. I'd say if you average these last couple of years, you've got some high numbers here of almost $3 billion a year of free cash flow, which is strong. Now, if they're making free cash flow and debt is staying kind of pair pursue with EBITDA, that means, and then what do they do? Well, it looks like they're buying back sh shares, a lot of shares. They started this decade with 1 billion shares outstanding. They now have 727 million shares. That's a third that's the 30% drop over 10 years, which is amazing. Every year they're buying back 4% of the stock on average, which is a great uh, thing to have along with the dividend they're paying you. It's also nice to see that their debt level is not growing above the multiple, is not growing faster than earnings, which means to me that the cash flow that they're generating is going to buy down the stock. And that's a nice check that they're not manipulating the balance sheet to buy back this, the, the stock. So long story long, obviously, sorry for the rant, but we've got a 6%, roughly a 6% free cash flow yield in this stock over time. And it looks to me like it's yielding that roughly uh, currently. Let's get down to the forecasting and figure out how much value is truly here. So the forecast, EBITDA, we're going to pick EBITDA up from $7.5 billion last year to 7.7 in 2024, 
prior to the consolidation. After the consolidation, you get 11.1, and I'm gonna grow that at 2%. That 2% growth is a lot less than the 6% they've had in the past as some cushion, right? This is your margin of safety that people talk about. So I need 2% growth. I'm gonna give it a seven times market multiple at exit, which I think could be a little bit higher, but we're gonna give it a seven times multiple. Uh, $91 billion of market of enterprise value. They're going to buy the debt back down to three times. So minus $40 billion. It gives me a $52 billion market cap. Shares outstanding $727 million. Stock price $72.11. Out 10 years based on the EBITDA market multiple method. Now let's get to free cash flow per share. So cash flow per share is going to be a little squishy because they got to buy down that debt. And they, they said two years, maybe give it three or so. What we're doing is basically spreading it out over the 10-year period of time that they're going to have to, uh, that we're going to own this stock in theory. So this is just a guess, obviously. $2 a share goes to three after the consolidation. That three grows at 2% over time on a 5% yield, slight premium to the 6% they had before. And you get a $70 price target out 10 years. So I'll consolidate these for a $71 price target someplace to give like a dart in the air. I mean, who knows what's gonna happen in the future, but at least you have some logic behind making a forecast and you can then judge if you think that forecast is reasonable or not. So we have a number. The IRR that we get, you get stream of cash flow, you're in it $49 a share, which is the current price. You're out at 71 and it's a 10% uh, yielding IRR over that decade. What does that mean? That means you make 10% as a forecast, forecasted return, 10.5% every single year compounding for a decade, which is a very nice return. It's certainly, it's slightly beating the market. Uh, certainly on a risk adjusted basis, I think it's very interesting how this business can only grow, can, can, needs to grow 2% with no market multiple expansion and you get a market beating opportunity. So that leads me to the t-shirt, the trifecta. What is the trifecta? It is my word for three things. Please go back and watch my Domino's versus Google uh, video where I compare the IPO of the two stocks. They both IPO'd about 16 years ago, Domino's and Google, but Domino's stock outperformed Google over those following 16 years. Why? Because Domino's bought back shares, grew earnings, and had a market multiple expansion. Those three things caused the hockey stick return that you really want to see. Uh, Google did grew earnings but did not buy any shares back and did not have a market multiple expansion. And while their return is large, 3,000%, something like that, uh, Domino stock, a pizza chain, a franchise pizza chain had a 5,000% return on the stock. So definitely check that one out. That's why you wanna look for stocks that exhibit A, the five key factors that we discussed, and then B, some extra things. Are they buying back shares? Do they have the ability to grow earnings? And do you think the market multiple could expand? We covered buying back shares right here. They've been doing it for a decade. They say that they're gonna suspend it, but once they buy down the debt, they're gonna resume it. So I checked that box like that. Earnings growth, earnings, EBITDA has been growing pretty nicely, up and down a little bit, but overall, 6% annually for the last decade, great. And we're forecasting 2%, that's still growth. Check that box. And then a market multiple expansion here. You can buy the stock at seven times, which I think is generally cheap for a, a massive company like this. And if they're able to play into the pharmacy space, they're able to do some other omni-channel things, I think they could get a little bit higher uh, market multiple. Certainly eight or nine is present. We've seen that in the past, so maybe they get nine times, but they don't have to go to 1520. That's still an expansion. 
And remember, that's every single dollar they earn, you're getting extra multiple on it. So uh, that, that's definitely part of the, the mix. It doesn't have to be a huge doubling. It can just be a 10% increase. It's still a Still, a, still an increase in the uh, market multiple. So that's why I think this is a trifecta opportunity. I would caution you on the debt, uh, just because interest rates have gone up since they announced this deal. That's going to put strain on cash flow as they try to get this down. They're going to really have to delever as much as possible. But let's review the five key attributes for Kroger as it stands today. Number one, top line revenue growth. Yes, check the box. Number two, EBITDA. EBITDA is growing. Check that box. Strong free cash flow. Yes, last year was a little weak because of inventory buying, but I think overall they do produce strong cash flow. Number four, low debt. Debt is manageable, and I'll put it in air quotes. I'll check the box, but I'm going to air quote that we're expecting them to complete the deal, that the debt will be bought down over time, and that is going to be the focus of all free cash flow for the next couple years. Number five, is it well-priced? Yes, it is well-priced. Uh, if, if it's if it's 10.5%, that's a slightly market-beating return, a very interesting stock. I would think over time, though, this stock could fluctuate down a little bit as they announce the deal, the final deal, and maybe they stumble on earnings during the consolidation or like cost to consolidate the business is a little too high and it affects earnings in the first couple periods as they announce, as they, as they release a combined entity. If that happens, the stock could stumble and would be even more, attract, even more of an attractive opportunity. Uh, what I'll do is I'll show you here just a distribution curve. Uh, so if in the future you watch this video and the stock price is not at 50 bucks a share where it is currently, but it's higher in the 60s, I would not be a buyer. If it's down in the 40s, I would be backing the truck up. So that gives you a little bit of a spread. Again, I'm taking you inside the cash flow club. This is something that one of our analysts posted just to give you the one pager and then lots of charts that you can see of what they what they do. Let's Actually, one chart that I like is uh, the dividend. Here we go. This chart I like a lot. A lot of people will look only at the dividend yield of a stock, uh, which is nice because they receive it, but a dividend yield is only a fraction of the net income that a company produces. The blue here is the dividend that they pay out, which everyone loves. But the orange is the share buyback uh, that they're using their free cash flow for. And look how much bigger the yield is or the, 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 the value of the bar would be in the share buyback compared to the dividend. So when you look at a stock and it's yielding 2% dividend, you're like, meh, that's, that's, or even 1% dividend, you're like, that's too small. You got to dig a little bit deeper, go into the cash flow statement, go into the bottom third, look at the line that says a share repurchase. Take that dollar amount, it'll be whatever hundreds of billions of dollars, and divide it by the share count you have on Yahoo Finance or whatever, and that'll give you the per share dollar amount that they're kicking out. Add that to the dividend for the annual basis and divide it into the price, you'll get the kind of fully baked yield, if you will. And in some years, it's yielding 10% on a, on, a, on a buyback plus dividend. Now the buyback obviously is not guaranteed. The dividend, they try to kind of lock that in, not guaranteed, but they try to, try to keep it much more, uh, it doesn't vary as much, they keep it steady. This will vary based on fluctuations of availability, but if you're holding the stock a long time, you're gonna get most years, it's a positive, it's a bigger positive number. So definitely take a look at that. We always call that out here because I think it's a big piece of value so long as you can afford the dividend buyback, that they're not borrowing more to buy back stock to manipulate the EPS. 
You want a company that's growing revenue, growing earnings, strong free cash flow, low debt, and well-priced. Check this out. Check out Kroger. Let me know what you think uh, of this video. I really appreciate all the comments of the, the deep diving. Uh, throw me a comment down below. It always helps the algorithm. Let me know what stocks you want to see next. And I highly encourage you to check out the Cashflow Club. You can see it on my website, cashflowinvestingpro.com. We post a myriad of one-pagers. I think we're covering almost 200 stocks at this point. Uh, it's been difficult for us to find stocks in this market with conservative forecasts that are still yielding double digits. There's a lot of companies that are still, in my opinion, uh, wildly overpriced that have not adjusted for the new slow growth, new normal, if you will, uh, of, of, of earnings season. So I kind of expect a little bit of pullback coming. So I'd keep that dry powder. You might have some really good, good opportunities in the future. I always like to say that cash is an option on the future. So have a little bit for uh, stocks like this one, if it should come down even further. Very interesting buy for that conservative, cash flow hungry buyer that's going to hold a stock for 10, 20, 30 years. I mean, a Kroger is something you could buy and give to your children, which incidentally, I believe, and if there's some accountants out there, check this. I believe if you bought a stock and gift it in your will to your heirs, they get a step up in basis on the uh, on the value of that stock and, it, and you don't pay, they won't pay capital gains when they sell the stock. So that's why if you're buying stock, you are in for a long time. You are married to the stock as, as Warren Buffett likes to say. So uh, get in, hang on for 30 years and uh, go live your life, go do something else. My name is Cameron Stewart. This is Rational Investing. This has been a review of Kroger. Greatly appreciate the time. Uh, don't forget to hit the subscribe button. Throw me a like and a comment. Helps the old algo. Uh, and share on social media. All right. Uh, see you guys next week. Bye-bye.